0: Okay, so we're going to be looking at the sovereignty of God. And I want us to look at a few things. I want to look I want us to look at is God sovereign? What is sovereignty? And if time permits, we're going to look at three reasons why bad things happen to good people. Amen. Okay, so is God sovereign? And I think that's the question so many people ask, and that's probably the question in your minds this morning. Well, in order to answer that question, I want us to go back to the dictionary definition of what sovereignty or sovereign really is. And so while I was preparing for this message, I found four distinct definitions of the word sovereign or the word sovereignty that I want to share with you this morning in order for us to answer that question. The first definition that I came across is, um, if sovereign is used as an adjective, it means paramount. And paramount just simply means, um, it, it means, um, in, well, important. Um, and also another definition that I came across was supreme. And supreme just means greatest. And so if we are to look at those definitions and if we're to look at God, well, yes, God is very important to us. He's very important in our lives. And two, God is great. He's a great God. And so looking at this definition, well, if we were to ask ourselves, is God sovereign, then yes, 100%, God is sovereign. The second definition I came across for sovereign is having supreme rank or authority. Having supreme rank or power or authority, the highest power or authority. Well, let's look at God. There's no one above God. God is at the top of the food chain. He's at the top of the ladder. No one tells God what to do. He is the highest in rank. He is the highest in power. And he's the highest on authority. So if we're to look at this definition, then yes, God is sovereign. The third definition that I came across is self-governing or independence, like a monarchy. So if we look to look at this country of South Africa, South Africa is independent. It's an independent country. It broke away from British rule, I think it was, right? It is British rule, right? Do I know my to Dutch rule. Well, it broke away from some colonial rule. And right now, Britain or Netherlands or the Dutch can't lord it over South Africa, right? So if we're to look at this definition and if, we look to, and if we're to look at God, no one can lord it over God. God is independent. So again, if we're to look at this definition, is God sovereign? Yes, God is sovereign. I just want to share with you, for those that just love uh, history and just love fun facts, so while I was preparing for this message, I came across a very, a very interesting fact. Do you know that the word sovereign or sovereignty actually doesn't appear in the King James Version of the Bible or in any other of the earlier translations? And it actually only appeared in the Bible through the NIV translation, which came along, and over 303 times, it trans- it literally substituted King James's Lord God Almighty for sovereign Lord. And I have no, I really have, I have one, I have no, no, nothing against NIV translation. And I definitely have nothing against the word sovereignty if it's used in the right context, if it's used in the right way. So yes, God is sovereign because he is paramount, he's supreme, and as he is independent. He is at the top of the food chain. He is above. Amen. And so the fourth and final definition that I want to share with you this morning is when we say sovereign the dictionary defines it as excellent. Excellent. It comes from the Latin word, which means super or above. So again, if we're to look at God, well, God is super. God is above. God is the king above all kings. God is the Lord above all lords. And so in view of this definition, is God sovereign? Yes. God is sovereign. 100% agree. And so if it's this simple, Because it really is that simple, right? If it's this simple, why has this subject, why has this topic around the sovereignty of God caused so much confusion, caused so much chaos in the body of Christ? Well, this is what happened. Religion then came along, as it always does. And religion then concocted its own meaning for the word sovereign or sovereignty. And so when religion came along, it said when we, to, to, to say that God is sovereign means that God controls everything and that God actively controls all events. Or religion came along and said to be sovereign means that nothing can happen but what God wills or what God allows. Religion also says God is sovereign, therefore everything that happens in our lives happens because it's the will of God. And then the extreme viewpoint on the other end said, anything that happens in your life, anything that happens in your life, God is the doer of it. He either initiates it, or he allows the devil to do it. You know, even while I was preparing for this topic, preparing for this teaching this morning, I actually came across a teaching um, on YouTube. It was a Christian, a church teaching. And the title of the message, or or it wasn't really the title, it's actually the message itself, the preacher was saying that God, um, or Satan, is God's messenger boy. The teacher was saying that God has sent Satan to teach us lessons. And so he is God's messenger boy. It's terrible. It's sad to say that this view has become so widespread and is even universally accepted, not only in the church but also in modern day society. And, and, and I'm sure like I, I have, you also have heard these views expressed at some point in your life. And maybe like me, I used to believe these views and I used to express these views to other people. And so some of the things that people who hold this view would typically say, and this is no judgment here. This morning we are about teaching the word of God. Amen. This word that God has for you this morning is going to set you free. And so I'm asking that you open up your hearts. You open up your hearts. You get rid of the the, the old prejudice. Allow God to speak to you and teach you in this message this morning. Amen. And so people who hold this view, they typically say things like this. And again, I've said some of these things. I've said some of these things in ignorance, okay? But I just want to show you and I want to show you that these things are wrong. Okay, so some people, some of the things that people would say is, I got cancer, But God is sovereign. He permitted this to happen to me to teach me something. There's a purpose for everything. God has his reasons. God is in control. You've heard that one, right? Some say his ways are mysterious and past finding out. How can we know what God is ever going to do? And some actually say all is still under control. After all, God is sovereign. You know, at life group um, about three weeks ago, a lady shared with us um, one of her stories growing up in her in her childhood in a very religious setting in a very religious church, and her aunt passed away. And during the funeral, and you know, it was a well-meaning elder. He didn't he didn't know better then. He actually sat down and spoke to the family during the time of of mourning and during the timing of grief, and he said to them that their aunt had been taken away by God because he actually needed the he needed the aunt more in heaven than they needed the aunt on earth. I mean that didn't that didn't bring comfort. That doesn't bring comfort to anyone. Church, you know, let's not get it twisted, okay? Yes, God is sovereign. We're not disputing that. God is sovereign. He is supreme. He is paramount. He is independent. He is Lord above lords. He is king of kings. He is sovereign. It does not mean that he actively controls everything. God does not will both bad and good to happen to us. He's not all controlling. He is not macro managing our lives. And he is most certainly not the author of your problems. He is most certainly not the initiator of your troubles. God is not the one killing children for some greater purpose to teach us how to live. God is not the one causing divorces. God is not the one causing tragedies. He's not the one causing violence. He's not the one causing death. He is not the one causing hurricanes, earthquakes. He is not the one causing tragedy. This religious definition of sovereign, this religious definition of the sovereignty of God is not true. It is not true. It is not what the dictionary says about the sovereignty of God or what, or, or, or what the dictionary says about sovereign. And we'll see a little bit later. It is not what the word of God has to say about God. Amen. So where did this mindset start, right? Um, it is a mind, man-made mindset, okay? It's not scriptural. This man-made mindset actually started about 100 years after Christ walked this earth. And while I was researching, what I found is that even um, uh, you know around 100 AD, as early as that, we saw the early church fathers actually refuting this doctrine and rejecting this doctrine because it had actually started to find its way into the church. It has actually started to creep into the church. And then what we find is around 400 AD through um, Augustine, who I believe at this time, the church was facing a lot of persecution. I mean, Christians were being killed for their faith. And so I believe that, that Augustine, just looking for answers and looking for just a, a way to explain what was happening, he started to really widely spread this doctrine. And, and Augustine started to say things like, nothing happens unless the omnipotent wills it to happen. Augustine started to teach that a a suffering victim ought not to attribute suffering to the will of men or angels or any created spirit, but rather to the will of God. You know, his teachings unfortunately spread like a wildfire. And unfortunately, what we started to see is around the 1500s, through a man called John Calvin, you've probably heard heard about him, you've probably heard the Calvinist uh, theology and doctrine, but through John Calvin these beliefs that God sovereignly controls everything good and bad in our lives really started to become entrenched. And and John Calvin um, started to, to teach that all events are governed by God's secret plan. Now the challenge with this doctrine is that if we believe that God wills everything that happens in our lives, both the good and the bad, you know, it may give us some temporary relief. It really may. It may give us some temporary relief from any confusion or condemnation that we may be feeling when something truly tragic happens in our lives. But church, I want to tell you something. In the long run, it's going to do so much more damage to your lives. In the long run, you, you, you're going to see a perverted God. You know, you're going to think that God's a schizo- There's a in the biggest schizophrenic in the entire universe. Up one day, down one day, evil then one day, good the next day. You're not going to have a good image of God. How can you believe that God is a good father if one day he wants to put sickness on you, to teach you a lesson? And one day he wants to make you poor and the other day he wants to heal you. You can't. You cannot believe the goodness of God. It's going to hinder your belief in God. It's going to hinder your trust in God. And it's going to hinder your receiving every good and perfect and wonderful and lovely and perfect gift that God has already provided to you by His grace. And the worst thing is it's going to make you passive. You are going to passively allow the devil to wreak havoc in your life. You know, this belief that God controls everything that happens to us, and that God wills both the good and the bad to happen to us, it's one of the biggest inroads that Satan has into our lives. You know, in my estimation, and I I said it again, I said it before, and I'm going to say it again, it's the worst doctrine in the body of Christ. If you believe that God sovereignly controls everything and that God wills both the bad and the good to happen to your life, then the God that you believe in, that's not the God in the Bible. That is not the God in the Bible. And that is most certainly not what the scriptures say. And so we're going to go to some scriptures now. We're going to go to some scriptures this morning. And we're going to see what the scriptures have to say about this subject and about this area of the sovereignty of God. Amen. Go with me quickly to 2 Peter we're gonna read verse 3. Sorry, we're gonna read chapter 3 and verse 9. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Okay. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish and that all should come to repentance. And so what the scripture is saying is God is not willing for a single person on this earth, in this universe, to perish. God is not willing for a single person here today to be destroyed. Rather, his will is for all of us, every single one of us in this universe, on this earth, to come to repentance, to be saved. Amen. And yet... Jesus says something very interesting in Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14. Let's read what Jesus has to say in Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14. And I said this in the earlier service. If you've got an analog Bible, you know, one of those Bibles with the pages. This is Jesus speaking, okay, because it's red. He's bleeding. (laughs) I've got nothing against an analog Bible. I have five at home. But it's just, I just don't bring one here because they're too heavy. Okay, but this is Jesus' own words. Matthew 7, 13. Jesus is saying, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. 14. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. And so what Jesus is saying is that, there are many more people who will enter the wide gate, which leads to hell, which leads to destruction. Contrasting this, he's saying that there are fewer people who will enter through this narrow gateway, which leads to life and everything that Jesus died for. But this is strange because we have just read in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, That God's will is not for a single person to perish, right? We just read that. Second Peter three verse nine, we just read where he's where the scripture said it is not God's will for a single person to perish. And rather it's God's will for people to be saved. So we can therefore conclude through these two scriptures is that if people are perishing, (laughs) if people are being destroyed, if people are going to hell, it's not God who's causing it. Why? Because he just said in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, he is not willing for anyone to perish. He's not willing for anyone to be destroyed. And so the two points I'm trying to get across to you is really this. Number one, God does not will evil against us. God does not will evil against us. God is for us. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. They are good plans. Plans to not harm you. Plans to not bring you disaster. But plans to bring you a hope and a future. You know, one of my favorite Psalms, and I actually, while I was speaking, I actually thought about it. It's in Psalm 139, 139. Um, 17 to 19, and I really love it in the Passion Translation, because it says, the psalmist says, every single moment you are thinking about me, how precious and how wonderful to consider that you cherish me in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. God has never had a bad thought about you. He's thinking about you constantly. And what he is thinking about you is good. God does not will evil against you. God loves you. Amen. Amen. The second uh, point I want to get across is, well, if he doesn't will evil against us, then he is most certainly not the one destroying us. So... If God does not want a single person to perish, but we just read Jesus in his own words, said that there are many who are going to perish, it's not God who's causing those many to perish. That's actually a topic for another day, but I'll probably, let me just summarize a little bit. There are many things that cause people to perish and many things that cause bad things to happen to good people. And some of them are really, can be as simple as choices. God has given us free will. He's given us the ability, the power, and the privilege to choose. So some people choose hell. Some people choose destruction. Amen. But one thing is for certain. God is not the one who's causing destruction in your lives. God is not the one who's causing tragedy in people's lives. We see these points being made again in two of my favorite scriptures. First, John 3, verse 2. It says, Beloved... And this is God speaking through the apostle John. It says, Beloved, I wish above all things. God wishes above all things that you prosper and that you be in health, even as your soul prospers. So God's expressed will in this chapter, in this verse, when it pops up, is that you prosper and you be well. God's will is health. God's will is healing. He doesn't want you to be sick. But what are we seeing? We're seeing many people sick. We're seeing many people not prospering. This is not God's will. And it's most certainly not God's doing. Second Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was poor. He became rich. That through his poverty. We might become rich. God sent Jesus to die on the cross. So that Jesus could become poor. And in his poverty, we could become rich. God's will for our lives is prosperity. As Marua said, God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing. But yet, what are we seeing? we it seeing people poor. Not only in the world, but in the church. This very continent of Africa is being ravaged by poverty. This is not God's will. God wants us to prosper. And so if it's not God's will, he's not causing people to be broke. He's not causing people to be poor. You know, I could really go on and on and on and on and on and on with scriptures. We really don't have much time. um, For people to believe that God sovereignly controls everything. For people to believe that God wills everything, both the bad and the good, to happen to us goes totally against the word of God. It's the doctrine of man that makes the word of none effect. You know, if you think that God is involved in whatever suffering, whatever tragedy, whatever misfortune has happened to you, it, it, it will truly, it will make you passive. You know, it wipes out your belief that God is truly and is really a good God. I mean, a good God is not the one causing sickness. A good God is not the one causing heartbreak, disease, poverty, broken relationships, tragedy. You know, the greatest deception that Satan has put across this world through the church is to get people to believe that his work is actually the work of God. I'm going to say this again because you need to probably think about it a bit. The greatest deception that God has put across this world through the church is to... Satan, sorry, I'm angry. (laughs) The greatest deception that Satan has put across this earth through the church is to get people to believe that his work is actually the work of God. It's to deceive people to believe that his evil work is actually coming from God. You know, I, I always say, I, I always imagined myself, um, um, you know, if I was fighting in a war. And, and they promoted me and I was the commander of the army, the general. And somehow, I had managed to deceive the enemy troops into believing that my troops, who, are coming, who, who I know are coming to destroy them, but I'd manage to somehow deceive the enemy's troops into thinking that my troops are coming to help them. Well, guess what would happen? The enemy troops would then embrace my troops thinking they're being helped. They'd put down their weapons, they'd put down their events, were their defense. And guess what? I would come in and I would totally annihilate that enemy. I would come in and I would totally destroy that enemy. Because their defenses are down. Because their weapons have been put down. And this is what the devil is doing in the church. This is what the devil is doing in our lives. He is deceiving us. He is deceiving people to believe that his evil work is actually coming from God. And his evil work coming from God has come to help us. Some Come to teach us some lesson that we need to learn. It's just absolutely not true. It's going to lead you to drop your defenses. Yeah. It's going to lead you to drop your weapons. Yeah. And when that happens, Satan's coming into your life and he's going to wreak havoc in your life. You know, if what's coming into your life is good, it's God. Amen. If what's coming into your life is enlarging, increasing, good, full of life, it's from God. God. If what's coming into your life is bad, yeah. if there is stealing in your life, stealing of time, stealing of finances, stealing of relationships, stealing in whatever form, fashion, or, or, or method, yeah. if there is killing in your life, if there is death in your life, if there is destruction in your life, it is not coming from God. Yeah. It is coming from the enemy whose sole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy you. And it must not be welcome into your life. It must not be accepted into your life. Uh, John 10.10. 10, I know it's a scripture we read um, three, four weeks ago. This is, I use this as my compass to determine... Um, You know, if anything is coming into my life, what is from God and what is from the devil? John 10.10 says, the thief comes except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Who's the thief? The devil. John 10.10 then goes on and it says, I have come. And this is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Church, it doesn't get much clearer than this. If it's killing, stealing, and destroying, it's from the devil. Kick it out. Resist it. If it's come and it's giving you life, joy, peace, happiness, prosperity, health, it's from God. Amen. Amen. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 in the Amplified. It says, be sober. And I said to the church this morning, if I'd actually been Peter... I would, have said, I would have said something slightly different. I would have said, get out of your drunken stupor thinking that everything that happens is of God. But Peter's nicer. He says, be sober. <laughs> be sober. Be well-balanced and self-disciplined. Peter says, be alert and cautious at all times. Why, Peter? Why must we be alert? Why must we be cautious at all times? Well, Peter answers that and he says, the enemy of yours, what enemy of ours? The devil roams around like a roaring lion in fierce hunger, seeking someone who he can devour. We have a very real enemy out there who's looking for every single opportunity To attack us. But if we embrace the thinking, if we embrace the religious doctrine that says everything that happens to us comes from God, whether it's good or bad. We won't and we can't actively fight against him. As James charges in in James 4 verse 7. Can I have James 4 verse 7? And we can have it in the King James Version. James 4 verse 7. James 4 verse 7 says... Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Now that word resist is actually a military term. It's it's an army word. And it means to actively fight. And so when the devil comes knocking on your door with his problems... And is evil, the Bible says, hold your ground, actively fight. And someone this morning asked me, well, how do I hold my ground? How do I actively fight? With the tools that God has given you. God, if you're a believer, has equipped you with his name. He's equipped you with the name of Jesus. And he says, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus, sickness shall bow. At the name of Jesus, poverty shall bow. At the name of Jesus, the enemy and his works will bow. So use his name. He says he's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. He's given us his armor. He's given us his new covenant. He's given us his promises. He's given us the keys of the kingdom. And he's given us authority over all the power of the enemy. Luke 10 verse 19. It says, behold, says Jesus, he says, behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. So the Bible says when the devil comes with his problems, with his evil baggage, you must resist him. And when you resist him, the word of God says that he will flee from you. Amen. Yeah. The challenge is that if you believe that God has a hand in your suffering, there's no way that you're going to actively fight him, right? Yeah. And, and saying, whatever will be, will be. K Sarah Sarah, That's not actively fighting. That's not going to cause the devil to flee from you. You know, this doctrine makes us passive spectators on this ride of life. It literally, it literally lulls us to sleep. And it, and it gives us zero reason to resist the devil. Because after all, that's God's will. Maybe God put the sickness on me. And if I'm resisting the devil, I might jab God, Father God. <laughs> God is good, Amen. the enemy is bad. God will never work with the enemy to bring bad and evil into your life. And you need to resist him. You need to actively fight against him using all the tools that we have been given as believers. And when you do, he will flee from you. And so, again, yes, God is sovereign. That's undeniable. Full stop, 100%. He is Lord. He is supreme. He is independent. He is the Lord above lords. He is the king above kings. He is the highest in rank, power, and authority. God is sovereign. But it does not mean, church, and if there's anything that you get tonight, this morning, it's really, I want you to get this. It does not mean that he actively controls everything. It does not mean that he actively controls both good and evil in our lives. Nor does it mean that everything that happens to us is because of God. Isaiah 5.20, and this is the last scripture I'm going to close with. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The NLT, this is probably a a, a lot more um, understandable. It says, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good? And good is evil. You know, people are calling evil good. People are calling cancer good. People are calling broken relationships good. People are calling divorce good. People are calling poverty good. And it's no wonder why we're seeing so many bad things happen to good people. It's no wonder why we're seeing sorrow upon sorrow before people. Church, God is good. If it's good, it's from God. If it's evil, then it's bad, okay? Then it's from the devil. Let's never get it mixed up. Okay, let's never ever get it mixed up. Let's walk out of that room knowing that we know that we know that we know that God will never, ever, ever, ever work with the devil to bring about disasters into our lives. You know, it's not God's will for any single person here to be struggling in any area of your life. If you're struggling in any area of your life, it's not God who's doing these things to punish you. It's not God doing these things to teach you a lesson, to help you become a better person, to humble you. It's not God. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God's plan for you are good. I said God's plan for your life is good. God has a desire for you to be happy. God has a desire for you to be joyful. You know another translation of John 10.10. Jesus says that I have come that they might have and they may enjoy life. God wants you to enjoy life. God wants nothing missing. He wants nothing broken in your life. God wants your relationships to function. God wants you to be prosperous. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be healthy and to walk in divine health. God is good. God wants you to be a contributing member of society. God wants you, get this, to significantly impact nations for his kingdom. God wants to put you on the top. He doesn't want to put you down. God has good plans for your life. Amen. And if you're not seeing these things happen in your life, it's not because God doesn't want it. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good, amen. We've run out of time. Why don't we just stand up on our feet and pray? I hope this helps someone here today. Amen. God has good plans for our lives. God has great plans for our lives. God wants us better and God does not want us better. And so, Father, this morning, we just want to thank you that you're a good Father. Father, we just want to thank you that your plans for our lives are good, Father, we thank you that you do not, you do not have evil plans for us. You do not wish disaster upon us. And right now, this morning, we reject every lie that the enemy has told us concerning this area of the sovereignty of God. Father, we thank you that you are Lord. You are Lord above all laws. You are great. You are paramount. You are supreme. You are highest in our lives. Father, you are independent. Father, you are sovereign. But it does not mean that you will both good and bad in our lives. Father, I pray right now for every single person under the sound of my voice. That they may know they may be fully persuaded that your plans for their life are good that father you love them you love them with a never-ending love that father you sent your only begotten son for them so that they may have life they may enjoy life and live their lives to the fullest Father, I thank you again that every single person under the sound of my voice, they will see your goodness in this world. They will see your goodness. They will taste and they will see your goodness. Father, I thank you that you are good. I rebuke right now every lie that the enemy has planted in their hearts. I rebuke it and I uproot it in the name of Jesus. I thank you even right now, Father, that you are speaking to their hearts, Father. That right now the word that has come forth today, it's going to be fruitful, Father. Father, I thank you even today that lives are going to be radically changed, Father. Father, Father, I even thank you right now for healing. Father, I thank you that you say in your word that you heal the brokenhearted. And I believe someone here today has been brokenhearted. I thank you, Father, that you right now are doing a mighty work in their lives, Father. That right now you are touching them with your healing, Father. And they will be able to testify of your goodness and your kindness and your mercy, Father. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for healing right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for healing right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.